I accept the bouquet. The lilacs calm my nerves and strengthen my resolve. I move to the porch swing. Nora. He walks over to meet me, but instead of sitting at my side, he stands in front of me. He leans his back against the porch railing, fingers tapping the white wood as he gathers his thoughts. I stay quiet. I want to see what this man can bring to my life without my prompting. I bought you a dress last time I was here. Red muslin, beautiful detailing. Must have been, what, only 18 months ago? I nod. I imagined you'd wear that beautiful dress on our wedding day. Seeing you wear it on the day of my return, it should have been a sign. He looks toward the ocean. Before the shipwreck, I was so certain about my life. As long as you were mine, I had no concerns about the future, sea or land. One hundred children or none at all, as long as I could touch you every night and see your beautiful blue eyes every morning. I was walking under the grace of God. He looks into my eyes. I know why you left. Oh? I should have married you the day I came back, but I couldn't find my land legs. I was stuck, selfish, withdrawn, angry, but most shamefully, a coward. That morning when I came back to the lighthouse to find you gone, it felt like you abandoned me. By the afternoon, everyone in town knew you'd gotten on the ship to Prince Edward Island. I was too angry to write. In the wake of your departure, I thought myself worthless. I feared everyone in Passamaquoddy would soon discover that too. It never occurred to me that Paul would see his value in terms of our relationship. When we received your letter, Lampy kept repeating she abandoned us. Was I sharing the same sentiments with a sick man? I knew I'd changed, but to a childish man full of blame and vitriol? Even my troubles weren't enough to justify that type of character. I felt a new cloak of shame drape over me. My thoughts went back to how you begged me to love you your last night home on the shores of your lighthouse. I choked up with guilt. I decided not to write or pursue you. I'd remain in Passamaquoddy. You didn't deserve this poor shadow version of an Anamkara. But here you are. With every day that passed, I felt I was growing out of my skin. I realized the amnesia I suffered in Cape Hatteras had been a blessing. Had I been conscious of your absence as I healed for months, I would have gone insane. I forgot your scent. I couldn't recall your voice. This wasn't missing. It was a soul ache. I understood why you were ravenous for me the instant we were reunited. Now there I was, staring out into the ocean every night for a month, miserable and weeping on your lighthouse balcony, wishing to be with you, just as you did for me for over a year. He sinks to his knees, his head bows. He wraps his arms around my legs as he presses his face between my knees. Into my thighs, he weeps. Please, Nora, please, I'm so sorry. Forgive me, can we return to what we had before? The love I carry for him courses through me like the Holy Spirit. I wait for the feeling of completion. I listen for God to tell me to go back. But my heart only says one thing. I won't go back to the lighthouse, Paul. I'm going to remain on Prince Edward Island. He lifts his head. Can I stay the night? I'll... I'll have to check with Francis, uh, Mrs. Strauss. Do you want me to, Nora? I want... many things, Paul. Mrs. Strauss agrees to let Paul stay the night. 
She sets him up in the widow's walk to keep with gender propriety. Supper is a silent affair, with the other female boarders unsure of what to ask and Paul unsure of what to say. I study how he cuts his meat, how he wipes the corners of his mouth with the cloth napkin. Could I sit across from this man every night for the rest of my life? This man who flickers in and out of the hero I used to know? After supper, Paul and I sit in repose on the porch and watch the sky grow dim. This is a new silence. I can feel him waiting for my lead when he's always been the one to take it. Nervous need hangs in the air. Mrs. Strauss is planning a European sabbatical this spring. She's offered me a job. I'd be the boarding house manager in her stead. You'd be a natural. No matter what you do, you do it brilliantly. I believe company would do you well. Have you given any thought to the future? Back to sailing? That depends entirely on you, Nora. The question of how seems to be choked up in both of our throats. Would Paul abandon his life to start over with me? Or does he secretly believe I'll return to Passamaquoddy if I'm his bride? The sky is blanketed in darkness and stars, and our conversation slides into silence once more. Does he truly see me? Or does he only see the woman he left over a year ago? Will you leave tomorrow? Only if I cannot stay. I feel a potent ferocity of resentment and confusion build together. Why is he so evasive? The housemaid interrupts my train of thought, coming out onto the porch to light the lamps. We take it as a cue to begin the bedtime process. Paul and I walk up the stairs, past the second floor where Francis sleeps, up to the third. I point to my room, down the hall. That's where I'll be. East facing as always. Sometimes I wonder if I wake the sun. Paul smiles and motions to the smaller set of stairs behind him. I'll be heading up now. He reaches out his hand, and I hold it, still less calloused than I'm used to, but it doesn't surprise me this time. He squeezes my hand, like an old friend. His eyes are warm and tired, regretful and pleading. Sleep well, my no- Sleep well, Nora. In an instant, he's up the stairs. I walk to my room in the daze. I wash my face and undress, unable to catch a full thought. All I can feel is my body. It's chasing that pulse he placed into my hand. I force myself to lay down. My eyes gaze out the window. My room oversees the tips of homes and buildings, obscuring a clear view of the sea. I begin to pray. Please, God, lead Paul in here. Take away his shame. Have him touch me. Inspire him to be the man he used to be. Or help me let go of him. Forget him. Embrace my new life. I close my eyes, tears streaming down my cheeks. I am a fool. Choice is simply conflict dressed up as an illusion of will. I want to be rescued. I've always wanted to be rescued. No one is coming to rescue you, Nora. I sit up and look out at the sea. No kraken. 
not even a tendril, but its voice is as clear as ever, as if I were gripped in its tentacles at its mercy. Do I wait? No. You take. You must take, Nora. You must take it all. Be monstrously greedy and unashamed. You alone can shine the light on your destiny. Love bravely, be not afraid. I have you. I've always had you. I am pulled out of my bed, my body driving down the hall and up the stairs. I open the door. The small room has windows for walls, much like the lamp room in the lighthouse. Paul's bed is a cot piled high with blankets and pillows. He sits up from the noise of my entrance. You need your Anamkara. I do too. I close the door behind me, and when I turn to face Paul, I feel as if my limbs begin to multiply and stretch towards him. I am on his cot before he can take another breath. I wrap my arms around his bare torso, pulling it close as I lower my face against his strong body. My tongue, like a tendril, traces his fresh scar from the accident. I feel him pull away. It's horrific. I'm sorry. Stop being sorry. In all my power, I push his body onto the floor. He lands on the extra quilts, and his breath quickens from desire and surprise. He is only a man. I am a goddess of monsters. I lay myself on his body and continue to chart his flesh with my lips and tongue, an explorer sailing along a familiar route. His body twitches, his voice moans, and I grace his lips with my own. I look into his eyes and run my hand through his soft, luscious hair. I rock my still-clothed hips against his, feeling his lap growing warm and responsive. Are you man enough to worship me? Yes. I think so. My palms suction against his cheek and crotch. I press one against his face and massage the other against the stiffening member between his thighs. Don't think. Believe. No. Prove yourself. Yes. Yes, my love. He swiftly removes my nightdress as I remain above him. His fingertips mindfully score my neck, breasts, and belly. He harnesses his hands against my hips and lifts them towards his mouth. I'll prove it to both of us. I've only felt this sensation in my crack in fantasy. A wet, slippery point licking and sucking while I am sitting up on my throne of power. Now Paul's tongue and mouth follow suit as if the Kraken and Paul had come from the same lineage. My hips buck and my body shivers with pleasure. I can feel my stardust awakening, my bones glimmering and blood sparkling. My insides pour out a tidal wave of my essence onto his visage. You're mine, Paul. I growl with ecstasy over and over until I can no longer keep my body upright. Paul catches my waist as I roll to the side of him onto the ground, and he cradles my head with his other hand. We embrace, merging our limbs together. We begin to weep as we hungrily press and pull one another's flesh. Oh, my Nora. He draws his body off the floor and descends into me.
He shivers from the sensation. I am full of the divine. I am not taking care, I am only taking. My hands grope and gather his soul, drawing him deep into mine. Look at me, Paul. I am your sea. You cannot possess me. You cannot escape me. But you can yield to me. His eyes are full of awe and reverence as he rhythmically pumps himself into me. He is a formidable ship, but I am the land and sea and sky. I am all the monsters and maidens, and he is simply Paul. His body starts to quicken and quake, and a second wave of pleasure washes over me. I keep witness to this mortal whose face is contorting in focused bliss. Oh, my Nora. My love. My Nora. He reaches his climax, and I can feel Paul's essence flow into me. Finally, I can see the truth of this act. His power, charm, knowledge is mine to receive. He gives this beautiful gift freely with this physical and spiritual release, an offering to my feminine divine. I take it. When the sun rises over that clean, calm, deep blue ocean, we are curled up together on the floor. Magic and sunlight dance on our bare skin. I'm never letting you go. You'll never have to. Our souls are tied together like a constellation. I have the dress. The one I... Yes. Does that mean we can... I grin and nod. He kisses me. Our love feels ancient and precious, primal and new in the warmth of the sunrise. We agree to freshen up, change into our wedding clothes, and meet for breakfast. We'll need a witness. Oh dear, I'm relieved to hear that. I don't pass judgment on anyone, but I was hoping not to have to leave my business in the hands of heathens. Oh, you... <laughs> if I didn't know better, I'd have thought a monster had eaten both of you alive. A kraken, perhaps? Before I have a moment to feel self-conscious, Paul interrupts us, standing in the doorway wearing long sleeves and trousers. Frances gets up from the table and places her hands on her hips, shaking her head. I'm sorry, but that won't do. Come with me, my dear. Better to look out of fashion than a fisherman on your wedding day. They ascend up the stairs together. The housemaid, never missing a drop of news in the house, shyly appears to hand me the bouquet Paul had given me the day before. I had absentmindedly left it on the porch. Best wishes, Ms. O'Toole. I hope one day that my, um, my love sounds like that. I should be blushing, but I surprise myself with a sense of pride. Love should sound like that. The stairs creak their overture, and Francis descends, beaming. Paul enters behind her, and I've never seen him so finely dressed. That's what makes me blush. (laughs) 
we're married in a matter of minutes. The next several weeks are a whirlwind of change. Our marriage is all it takes for Lampy to agree to retire. He and the boy will be moving up here, once his lightkeeper replacement is well established. Diana is thrilled to hear the news and is making plans to visit next summer with the whole brood. Prissy Taylor was highly offended at not being chosen for our marital witness, but quickly forgave me as I am her only friend in town. She is an acquired taste for Canadians, too. Francis, ever gracious, allows Lampy and the child to stay upon their arrival, shifting the distinction of ladies' boarding house to women and families. The constant company keeps my father more sober than I've ever known him to be. He argues he's simply slowing down with age, but I realized the isolation of the lighthouse hadn't affected only my spirit. Though fall was turning into winter, this change felt like summer in all our souls. On Christmas morning, we found ourselves without any extra boarders. We sit in the living room, Francis the child, Paul, Lampy, the housemaid, and myself. We are about to exchange gifts when Francis and Lampy stand up together. Ooh, I'm afraid Lampy has outdone us all. Before you make a fuss, Nora, I did this with the full consent of Mrs. Strauss. Oh, good gracious, Lampy, I keep telling you to call me Francis. <laughs> well, at any means, I didn't, in fact, drink all my money away, nor did Nora take it all for herself, which she would be right to, of course. She did more work on the lighthouse than I ever did, which is why I bought this boarding house. Dad! You won't want for anything, Nora, and neither will Mrs. Strauss... Francis, I mean to say. She's got enough to travel in Europe, hell, live in Europe, or whatever she likes. Francis kneels down to me and holds my hands, just as she did when we had our first heart-to-heart. I assume this is what you want, but if not, please tell me we'll completely undo it. I look around at this room of people I love, who have caused me grief and joy and worry and enlightenment. I still have responsibilities, but I no longer feel trapped or alone. Francis, I look forward to making my own world of friends with this opportunity. Thank you for your trust. You're my heroine, Miss Nora. We decided in the summer we'd change it into a bed and breakfast. Short-term stays felt more appropriate with a family living in the house. Before we know it, it's June, and the eve of our new business is opening. The child and I are tidying the porch, and the fireflies are making their twilight debut. I find myself thinking back to that treacherous stormy night in Passamaquoddy, when a fire came out of nowhere to relight our wick. It was something Lampy and the child saw that I couldn't. Whatever happened to your dragon? Oh, we said goodbye the morning after the big storm. He flew away to help someone else. I had a family, so I didn't need a dragon anymore. Ah, (laughs) I see. You know, I used to imagine a monster friend. Not too long ago, either. Why would he do that? To feel less alone. Just like you. I didn't imagine anything. Pete. (laughs) I swear, don't you believe in magic, Nora? I hear familiar laughter from down the way. 
the shapes of Lampy and Paul appear, walking up the hill towards our house, our house, where we work together, where we mend our broken pieces, where I sleep with my beloved in a room full of windows, where he and I throw each other up to the stars, nightly posing for God in all our imperfection. I not only believe in magic, I see it every day. That's what true love is.